0: Welcome on to Moxie with F.P. Wellman. I am... FP1 with Fred Wellman, your host of the show. Right back in the studio again. We took another little break for reasons I'm sure you'll find out soon. But it's great to be back in the studio with Matt in the back there, keeping me straight. It's actually a very lovely kind of gray day here in St. Louis. But we're ready to talk about a really cool thing. And that cool thing this week, uh, I may not have touched a lot of your lives. Uh, it may not have really impacted you, know, you. A lot of people probably didn't even know what happened. But this weekend was the 20th anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. You know, with a long war like that, you know, not everybody was there for that day. I was. Um, I invaded Iraq twice. Uh, I was with the 101st Airborne. So I wanted to do a different kind of show today. And I I told you when we talked about the show, we would talk about all the aspects of democracy. And one of those is the experience of our soldiers and our our fellow Americans going off to war and the impact on their families. So I got a really cool guest to talk about that. So let's not waste any time. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, as I mentioned right before the music, I am Fred Wellman, your host of Onda the F.P. Wellman, coming to you on all your favorite channels from Apple, Spotify, Google, Buzzsprout, where else, Matt? Jesus Christ, YouTube. We're everywhere, man. We're like a virus. Some soon on Substack, by the way. Big news coming on that. <laughs> Anyways, it's a lot going on right now. Hey, look, D.C.'s is crazy as always. We're all on indictment watch. Uh, Mr. Trump, you know, is saying he's going to get arrested. Everybody wants to break the law. It's great stuff. We're all, everybody's doing that. Look, I'm not going to particularly, uh, look, I, we could all dive on that grenade. I, I've done uh, enough grenades on that. I'm not, I actually just want to take a step back, as I mentioned previously, and talk about something that impacted my life and, and many of the people I work with and their lives and their families and, and our nation as a whole and the, the the soul of our nation. And that, of course, is the uh, beginning of Iraqi, Operation Iraqi Freedom in, in, in 20 years ago. I, of course, was there at the 101st Airborne. As I thought about guests, I wanted to get somebody who had a really unique perspective. And I, I actually, I talked to some of my former generals or you know bosses and stuff, but... But late yesterday, thank God, like I usually do, I called up Leo Shane and uh, said, hey, I know you're, you're working for a living, but can you come on my show tomorrow? And God bless him, he did. So who is Leo Shane? Well, Leo Shane is the deputy editor of Military Times in Washington, D.C. He covers Congress, Veterans Affairs, the White House for the Military Times family newspaper. Now, here's where it gets interesting. He's covered D.C. since 2004, focusing on military personnel and veterans policies. His work has earned numerous honors, and I want to list those because it matters, including a 2009 Polk Award, 2010 National Headliner Award, the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America Leadership and Journalism Award, which I was really proud to be there for the actual ceremony, Leo, <laughs> and, of course, the really prestigious the VFD, VFW Vera Foreign's Wars he was a media award which he got at the vfw convention i've known him for i think over 12 years now leo so leo thanks man it's, i call you a friend welcome to the show thanks for taking time
1: Look, if we were friends, you wouldn't start off by saying how old I am. I mean, you don't you don't need to bring in the uh, the years of when I started and make it seem like I've I've been here for too long. So yeah, yeah, you're great old as shit. On, great for the what the fucks
0: day. up so, with that? <laughs> I mean, same job for twenty years. It's fucked up. <laughs> well, it's, been, it's, it's been great. I, I sure. ask that question
1: a lot. I get a lot of like, why are you still doing the same thing? And like, I, honestly, you know, not a lot of people cover veterans' issues. And no. it's been it's been a pleasure for me. It's been yeah. I, I've I've been able to. To be on stories that are, that are really important to America, really important to the veterans community that a lot of people. Overlook. so you know I consider myself pretty fortunate uh, to have found two different organizations that that have paid me despite uh, despite my, my my poor writing skills and my poor interviewing <laughs> skills. But I, you know I've been doing this. I, I, I was with Stars and Stripes for nine years. I've been with Military Times for nine years now, um, wow. and it's 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 great. It's given me a unique perspective on
0: on a lot of this. Well, that's it. You know, and and you're, and you're not to blow smoke up your ass, but that's what we do in the show. Is like you're. The, I, I'm you're, happy to take it. Yeah, yeah. take it. Yeah, ben, uh, you're you were you are considered, and this is not you saying this 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 is all my friends and people who know you you're the dean of the veteran press corps you're you're the guy who's been there for so long i when we we met the first time i'd followed you for years and then when i started my firm scout comms and got hired by this little company a ha- little hardware firm uh called home depot <laughs> in 2011 um, i remember we attended the national coalition for homeless veterans annual conference in dc and i i just got and it was actually only been on the job for like three months with home depot and they sponsored it that year is 2011 may of 2011 and um i remember going to this conference and here's all the veterans homeless organizations in america basically right (laughs) the board of NCHV was all these vietnam veterans getting up in their 70s and 80s who had founded this thing just for their brothers and sisters which is something i want to arc back to later on that topic and i'm like Where's the media, <laughs> you know? And, and we discovered at that point that our friends were hardworking people who were just down the trenches and hadn't thought about the fact that, hey, you know, we're in DC and there's media and God bless you. I remember calling you up. You like, you don't know me for shit. Um, I'm here with the Home Depot Foundation. They've just launched a $30 million, a three-year program to help veterans you got five mm-hmm. minutes and God bless you you ran over from the, I think you ran over from the press club and Stars and Stripes had yeah. you at the National yeah. Press Club and, and and thus began a long and painful relationship for you yeah. for, the next, for the next five six years
1: you called me every week with another story so. uh, no it's actually nine. <laughs> nine nine well no, you yeah. had
0: other people calling me after the first few years so, you know, I do worse. that's true I did have people I had people at one point I was actually a no shit national. I mean and that's and, and you kind of answered it right but I do start off with you know how did you get here you know you 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 how did you end up focusing on the military and the veterans? You, you came out, I think, Delaware. where you went to journalism. I think you know, and I think you went through. You stopped in Pennsylvania. You stopped in Illinois, and then you ended up in DC eventually. What yeah, brought look, you to was, this moment? It was
1: it was it was uh, a big accident on my part. I never intended to cover military and veterans issues. I don't have a lot of uh, military background in my family. My father-in-law. Served in the Navy, didn't talk about it much before he passed away. Uh, both my grandfather served in World War II, but same thing, a couple stories here and there. So I never really felt any deep connection to the military or the veterans community. Um, I was just looking for, you know, what are good stories? So when we moved to DC, uh, a position open at Stars and Stripes, to talk about military personnel issues. At the time, it was no conversation about veterans affairs. This wow. is 2004. And it was like, we don't, we don't talk, we talk about the troops, talk about DOD. We don't, yep. we don't talk about VA though. That's, that's a whole nother issue. And that's, yep. It's one of the giant things that's changed over the years. Now, I I, I still complain that VA is undercovered. That veterans should be more covered. There should be a veterans reporter at every major paper because this is a a key part of the community now. Uh The number of young veterans, number of old veterans, just how it makes them the fact. There's still not much coverage though, but the coverage now is is leaps and bounds above what it was yeah. back in 2004 2005 because it just was nothing it was still veterans affairs was for old guys who served in vietnam and we talked about asian orange presumptives and we talked about some backlog issues and maybe talked about funding some va hospitals here and there and that was that was it that way it was it was all in a little committee that nobody talked about the yep. va budget was about Fifty billion dollars, I think, in two thousand two. Um, uh, it's a little, a little bit before me, but um, VA budget this year is three hundred twenty-five billion dollars. I mean, that's how much it's grown, and and yet three hundred twenty-five billion dollars, second largest single agency. It's bigger than any of the individual military services budgets. Um, but there's still about a dozen of us that really are are keeping any tabs on it, keeping track of it, as opposed co- to the DOD, which has you know a couple the hundred press groups, corps. And, yeah, I mean, a full press corps, full press office, and everything. So. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's been a fascinating ride. It's been fascinating to see just, just how much has changed. And yet I I'm still left with this impression that we don't, we don't talk about veterans enough still. We don't talk about these issues enough. We don't acknowledge just how much the reintegration, the lingering problems from the military, the successes, um, and we'll, we'll get into all that, but you know, there's just, there's just not the same level of conversation that we have about you know, the local school district and what they're doing and what the, you know, what the what this community group's doing. Nobody's nobody's in talking to the local VFW saying, hey, what do you what are you doing beyond Veterans Day, beyond Memorial Day? What are the what are the things
0: that you're doing during the year? Well, it's also got very rah-rah, right? I think. And you came into that. I think 2004, as you came into this world, uh, I was uh, I was just coming back. I got back from my first tour in Iraq in, uh, I want to say, April of 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when i I met actually, I met President Bush, you know, at, at March of 04, was it March? Or April? I doesn't remember. He came to visit, you know, Fort Campbell. I'd already been picked up to be a public affairs officer for, uh, for the division at the time, the 101st Airborne. And you're right. It was a very different world. We got local coverage, but it was also very kind of the rah-rah. We love the troops and, you know, homecomings. And, <laughs> you know, I, you know, there wasn't really an, uh, an open discussion about, you know, what we faced or, 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 of course, I also, it wasn't really the realization we we're going to face anything different at that point. You know, we had a very successful and smooth ride through Baghdad and up into Mosul. And then things didn't cut too haywire till right about the time. I mean, that's the interesting thing about your timeline, Leo, is you joined as things turned, right? And then late 2004 is well, when— Well, it's not my fault. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, you know, yeah. That's a weird coincidence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And look, here you are, same career. Yeah, look, right. was, that, that, <laughs> was, that was an interesting time
1: there because right. we were starting to see some of that initial, you know. We're back in the troops are supporting all this wear off and some of the public, you know, and it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's Iraq, it's now Iraq is taking precedence over Afghanistan. Afghanistan was a, a popular but forgotten war and Iraq yep. was the unpopular one. Right. But the, the interesting thing from, from my perspective was seeing, how how the policy was finally separated from the personnel. So, mm-hmm. you know, people weren't attacking the troops. People weren't blaming the troops. People weren't, um, you know, attacking the Defense Department e- even as much. It was really focused at the White House, focused at the administration there, rather than focused at the, the, the defense apparatus. Um, and then through all of it, VA was continually forgotten. There was support for the troops, and we've got to give them everything we need. And then when they come back, we actually haven't really funded VA
0: yet, and haven't talked about any of that. But you know, I'm sure it'll work itself out, and that'll be that'll be fine. So. And when did things change? I mean, I I think I know, but from your perspective of covering that world, when did the VA all of a sudden take prominence? I mean, I think it's scandal, of course. These always start with scandal, don't they? I mean. Uh,
1: well, I, so I actually think that the, so the 2014 wait-time scandal was a big deal, and that was, right. a, that was a pivotal moment, but I actually think that the change started um, back in 2008, 2009, with the passage of the post nine eleven GI Bill. There you go. Because then, all of a sudden, there was a lot of money going into young veterans, and for the first time, you're hearing stories about young veterans. You're actually seeing the young veterans. You're hearing, yep. instead of seeing 70-year-olds talking about, way back in the day, and I could have gotten this, now you're talking about 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds who are talking about going back to school. Yep. How are they going to integrate on campus what does this mean how much money are they getting so you know that that all of a sudden for the first time i'm I'm covering press conferences where the people who are leading the press conferences are not 50 year olds and 60 year olds. Right, are, they are 30 somethings. They're 20 somethings um, who are really starting to lead the charge. And that's that's when I think we started to to see a shift in, at least from the media perspective, just different faces and different voices out there. Um, yeah. You know, IAVA had started to come up. Student yep. Veterans of America came really big yep. on that issue. Yep. Um, a lot of these younger veterans organizations came up, and people for the first time weren't just thinking of the old. Old, you know the old american legion halls as as crusty old places where all veterans go now to their credit the legion the vfw the traditional organizations they were also pulling in young veterans saying this this is our future this is right. our face now right. um, and we're starting to see american legion press conferences that are organized by them and have the big apparatus but there is a young veteran right in the forefront and then you know, scandal of all scandals. There's a female veteran in the forefront. We're actually talking about women veterans for the first time in forever. We're actually right. talking about minority veterans. They're starting to take the forefront. And we're starting to see that hey, veterans actually aren't just this this old detached group. This is this is the this is the young generation.
0: This is this is America, and um and these are stories that maybe we should all pay attention to. Right, and it's interesting because I think I, the first time I noticed, uh, you know, obviously I did um two I did oh four or oh three oh four. Back oh five, um, I was in grad school up in Massachusetts in oh six oh seven, and I remember when I was getting the second semester of oh seven is when I heard my first wounded warrior project thing. They were mm-hmm. having a, a local fundraiser at one of the uh, one of the pubs, and when I came back from um, when I got back to the Pentagon after that tour or that my grad school, I heard from a group called um, I think it was the next year called. Uh, um, The Mission Continues, (laughs) which ended up, you know, because they're based here here in St. Louis, still still around, based here in St. Louis, yeah. And so uh, I I hung out with them. I became their Washington, D.C. It's funny, when I was assigned to the Pentagon, I actually was their Washington, D.C. volunteer for the Mission Continues when it was just Eric Greitens and three people. And I actually helped arrange, one of the first things I did as a veterans advocate was I arranged a wreath-laying ceremony, believe it or not for them, you know, because I was still in service. But but that's, I think that's when I started starting, from my perspective. In 08, you started, yeah, you said, you nailed it. I think it was 07, 08, as these young veterans started rallying around the idea of a, a new GI Bill, rallying around the idea we have to take care of each other, that our generation, much like these guys. And that's why I walk, I, I posted yesterday, uh, the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans Honored Vietnam Veterans Day, and their founders are all, the, all Vietnam veterans. And that's what these, and I, mean, I talked to these Men like Ralph and others there NCHV, you know they were. It was in the mid seventies. It was after you know not like five ten years of the war, and they saw their brothers and sisters homeless, and they said, "Look, we got to take care of each other." And that's when I think um, the first standdown in San Diego. So it's it's really interesting to see you know and we would argue the same thing about World War Two, right? World War Two vets take care of it. So it's kind of interesting yeah. for me as a veteran, uh, but I think for you as a journalist who's kind of followed that rise they have risen i mean there's been a absolute flood of these nonprofits, right sometimes well and let's let's talk
1: about national coalition for homeless veterans which is is, you know a lot of our our relationship here and where it starts (laughs) um that that organization has been around for a long time yeah but prior to 2010 2011 i don't know if anybody knew it existed because we didn't homeless veterans were in the background that was not an issue President Obama, Secretary Shinseki, uh, back in 2008, uh, came out and said, "Hey, we're going to make a national commitment to uh, getting rid of homelessness. We're going to get down the backlog. We're going to work on suicide." All of a sudden, these were issues that were not wow. old veteran issues. These were not these these were things that were affecting the younger population. But then also, all you know, the the benefits benefit all populations. So so all of a sudden, you've got you've got politicians really for the first time since the start of the war talking about what's happening after the war and how are we taking care of these folks who were saying, you had, you know, you had Bernie Sanders and plenty of folks who were saying this, but there wasn't, I don't think there was that national attention until uh, president Obama and Secretary Saki really yep. all of a sudden set down a marker. Now it's, it was a marker that at the time I remember thinking was unrealistic and has not been, has not been achieved yet. But I, you know, I do think that that started to give a lot of momentum to those groups. So now all of a sudden, National Coalition for Homeless Veterans is out there advocating and you know, I I would assume because I started covering them, everybody Obviously. else just followed me. But you know, you are they are getting more attention now. I'm a really good them, PR guy.
0: <laughs> people, people
1: are saying to them not just what the problem is, but hey, the president is talking about this. What support are you getting from the administration? What support are you getting from Congress? So now, you know, they've started to bring that story in. So now they can bring more people in. Um, and we have, you know, we have not reached that goal of zero, but we have seen the number of homeless veterans in the last decade drop by half, which Wow. It's great. It's not good enough, but it's great. Like that yeah, is progress. that is a that is a goal that that everyone wants here. Uh, yeah. And I guess I'm showing some of my some some of my um, journalistic bias here that I'm in favor of things like helping veterans and getting getting <laughs> wow. them homes and things like that. This is gonna be this all over the, the internet, team. I think. <laughs> this, is this is something that we actually struggle with a little bit at Military Times. We don't we don't want to be seen as you know rah rah pro war pro military, but we are we are we are inherently in favor of getting service members better benefits and helping them out and getting them into school, getting them into post-transition success. So right. And uh, telling their stories. That labels us as, pro-military, I guess I guess we'll, we'll accept that one. Yeah,
0: so. well, there you go. I mean, you're not exactly war mongers, that's for darn sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think fair. I think that's the thing. You know, one of the things we talked about quite a bit, I talk about my when I talk about, and this is a show about the democracy of our nation, one of the things that we started seeing, I think, that those, those years, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I remember specifically saying to my peers a lot that, look, veterans issues are American issues. Um, issues of, you know, we, we, I think we started seeing that when the bombs started going off and we set, we brought guys back without limbs and the technology accelerated quickly in, in, in artificial limb technology and stuff and mm-hmm. and then mental health care, the, the acceleration of the understanding of TBI. Look, the term TBI, I'd never heard of TBI. Now, now we talk about football players that you know yeah. with with TBI, right? So 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 much of what affects the military and, and what's affected us in this 20 year war of, and then throw in Afghanistan before that is has so I tell people while while veterans are at this point, I think you probably know better than I do. I think we were, I think we finally dip below seven percent of the population we're about to, I imagine, with the deaths of so many of our our World War II. You promised fathers. me there'd be
1: no math on yeah, the fly don't here, Yeah, don't worry about yeah, I, yeah, right I, think, that I think, level, think we dip so, below
0: seven yeah. percent. right at seven percent. People like to use one percent, but, but, but
1: also for for I, I think uh, it was about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, was the tipping point where the majority of veterans in the workforce were uh, nine post nine eleven veterans. Wow! Um, all of a sudden, it, all wow. of a sudden, if you see a, if you see a veteran out in the wild wild they are more likely to be a younger yeah, veteran yeah. rather than some old Vietnam veteran that maybe you don't have that connection to or you don't understand so there is that there is bringing that that younger face in and showing um and showing one it is and I I, I mean I made I joke earlier that you know nobody really cared about VA in the beginning it wasn't funded but I like what what I've seen over the course of my career is is not that there was any malice or you know there's certainly. Right some politicians who have advocated for funding, some politicians who have advocated for cutting back and, and push and pull and everything there, but but by and large the, the general public, it's just been a lack of awareness on this. I remember back in in 2012, uh, going to a, a viewing of a documentary over at University of Maryland, I was invited to to speak to some students afterwards and they talked about a, a guard unit that went over to Afghanistan and some of the struggles when they came back and all this, and I there was a there was a student right in the front row um, who who raised her hand and she said, "You know, I, I wanted to ask you about the some of the the frustration these guys were talking about when they came back. They're talking about um, trying to get their 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 VA education benefits and not being able to understand the process and everything. Um, and I just I just wanted to know, like, you know, does that happen like?" like kind of frequently. Cause I can't imagine that happens all the time. I can't huh. imagine, but like, I gotta, you know, like, I wonder if that's like a, a growing problem. And I stood there for a second and I'm like, Oh, you have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, you have no you have right. no idea what the frustration is with, with starting up the new GI bill with getting, getting care access with some of the frustration. Like, and I, I told her, you know, you've all been to the DMV. That's a, that's a common thing that we've all been. You've all gone to get your driver's license. Imagine using that, but needing that for your college tuition and for your healthcare, care and for your home loans and, and some other benefits too. Like it's a bureaucracy and, right. and I think VA has done a better job over the years to make itself more user friendly, but it is still a government bureaucracy. It is right. not going to be McDonald's where you go up and you order and you get stuff uh, delivered right away. It's, it's, it's a process, it's paperwork, it's frustration. Uh, it's red tape. And it's, it's always going to be that way. So, but yeah. the look on her face when I said that was like, Oh my God, like I, I just, Thought veterans would be taken care of because don't we? Isn't that isn't that why we have have a whole department for this? And it's, yeah, it is. But this is part of the push and pull. So I think I think the public has become more educated over the years because of these things. Yes. I think those GI Bill press conferences. People were saying, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! These guys get education benefits. What do you mean it doesn't cover?" most of their tuition. I thought they were going to school for free. No, not anymore. What do you mean there's a wait time scandal and you might not be able to get VA care for months and months and months, or it might get covered up. What do you mean that like these benefits you could, you can file stuff and it takes a year for before they get any, any check. What, what is going on? So that, that slow public awareness has helped move things forward. That that spurs political action. That spurs some of these committees that were once afterthoughts to get more in the limelight. It spurs other committees to get on this. You know, it used to be VA had the the three or four hearings on VA issues every year, and most of them were just inviting the veterans groups Droning. to come in and yep. complain and whatnot. Now you know you get the small business uh, committees to to weigh in on some things. You get the the armed service committees have. Dr- Joint hearings with the with the VA committees. So you get that this year, there's the Senate uh, Judiciary is going to be weighing in on some stuff with the Camp Lejeune um, uh, benefits act and uh, some of the issues with that. So all of a sudden, you know, everyone everyone's looking around saying, "Hey, do we need to be helping out veterans too?" And that's that's something that if you go back and talk to me in 2005 when my editors are saying we don't cover VA, I I couldn't have imagined it. It it
0: just expanding this much. I I agree, and that's that's one of the things I wanted to highlight on the show is that. I want to be counterintuitive to people who follow our show, and, and many of my followers, of course, in this in this in this program, aren't the usual veterans' advocates. You know, they don't know, but, but, you know. So, so it's funny. It is counterintuitive. You know, and what's also counterintuitive, and I know we promised I wouldn't talk politics, but the, the unique thing about this story too is it actually isn't bipartisan. Party. Like I think there was a time before two thousand three where a lot of us made the assumption, oh, you know, Dems not good for military Republican good for military and the funny thing is in the many ways these scandals that have come and gone these growth that have come and gone they've occurred over both parties uh, both parties have made mistakes both parties have made progress I was I was a I was a Republican when uh, mr Obama and mrs o- when mrs Obama launched joining forces I was a huge skeptic I had to delete tweets <laughs> not, because because they broke me I used to joke I used to joke that mrs Obama broke me with her muscular arms <laughs> you know because you know what they did take that shit seriously you saw it Leo I mean it was actually a Program. I actually hired Roy Brocius, who just left officially uh, after all these years. her second iteration of joining forces, they did good stuff. I mean, it ended up being a very powerful convening. So, so both parties, it seems, in a lot of ways, I and mean, we, we can be very partisan in this in this environment. Both parties have stepped up in many ways to do the right thing. Some better than others. Some with different reasons. Um, some with different arguments. But in the end, like you said, there's been a steady growth of the VA's budget. There's been a steady focus on making sure we are actually trying to take care of our veterans in some way. Um, and and we we could argue that the it's been interesting to see the, the 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 change in the veterans community. Now, one thing I did want to touch on because you do also study their issues is the military itself is still is is going through a lot of change, right? We're we're faced with uh you know we had a volunteer force when you know you and I started in this world. When you started, of course, I started in 1987. So you want to talk about how old we are, Leo? It's like, <laughs> oh wow, you've been doing the same thing for 20 years. Yeah, do the numbers. To be on clear, my...
1: I did have other jobs before this. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah worried whatever. How yeah. far back you're pushing me here? Yeah. But uh, but
0: it was, I have not been reporting uh, since 1987. No, so. yeah. Right. So I've been around for you know since you know a long time, and yeah. and I know I had a point with that, but now I've forgotten because I'm old. But no, <laughs> no yeah, but know, so it's the military changed, military right? The military yeah. personnel has changed, and and we didn't start in thinking that way. The idea of a multi-year war, a two-decade war on an all volunteer force has force changing. How do you take an all volunteer force? I mean, the theory was Desert Storm, right? Go in, get out. That's the only way to do an all volunteers. Now we had an all volunteer force that did a twenty, oh, nearly twenty year war between Afghanistan and and, and now Iraq. Um, we, we do have troops in Iraq. Let's not forget they're still there in Syria as well. So, so in many ways, you've seen that arc of the change on the military. Itself and the military community. Um, I tell a story often, Leo. It's, it's funny, and, and I'll try to keep it short because you know. So I was when I was a young PAO at the at the 101st Airborne. I was the division of public affairs officer. I just got out of the school. I know you've dealt with young public affairs officers right out of the schoolhouse and full of all the yeah. the rules, how to run all a press have, conference, all right? Have great idea. Yeah, so yeah. So so my first act is to get ja- Donald Rumsfeld comes to Fort Campbell to run to visit, right? And I set up a press conference at our museum. And one of the funny things we had at the time, well, well, the, the, at the time was when they were doing the big transformation after the first iteration of OIF. We decided to expand another brigade to every division. If you remember that Mm -hmm. um, early in your career, you know, add a fourth brigade, which is like 6,000 troops, the 101st Airborne, right? You know, I had to build barracks. I mean, huge changes. That's a rural community where, relatively rural community where Fort Campbell's based. It's not a freaking housing, you know, both military nor public for that matter. And so it was a huge impact on this division. So Mr. Rumsfeld comes to visit and um, we had, i had had all day at the Press. So I was working you guys trying to see what questions you're going to ask. I had a plan because I'm good at what I do. And on her you'll love the There There's a young woman, a young girl, uh, eighth grader. We had our own TV station at the middle school, and she was a cub reporter at the middle school. They had a morning news show. It was amazing. Yeah, nice. you. You'd love it. And so so she's there. And so she's, and her teacher's like with her. She was, hey, could she ask a question? I'm like, I'll figure it out. Why not? Fuck, you know, how? And so Rumsfeld comes rolling in. My two star tries to like block me, but runs like, Hey, you come brief me. I'm like, yeah. So I go, Runsville, for as many challenges, was funny as hell when you, I'm sure you talked to him many times. And so Runsville pulls me and said, Hey, sir, you know, here's the questions that were going on. I goes I love the log. I, I say, Hey, sir, one question, favorite to ask. We have an eighth grader here. She wants to ask a question. And here's the question. He goes, No, 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 don't tell me. <laughs> I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and so the, the two funny things of that press conference, I get up there at the podium. I'm a little, you know, I'm, a, I'm telling my story. Like, I'm introducing secretary of defense i mean whatever so i'm not gonna hear the rules and and fucking rummy like walks up to me leo and he's like over my shoulder like looking over my shoulder like this <laughs> and all of you guys are giggling right because <laughs> i don't know that the secretary of defense is hovering over my shoulder and he whispers in my ear he whispers in my ear they know who i am <laughs> i'm like oh that's a fucking good point so he gets up but here's the funny story and this is, it leads to a point um he finally calls the young lady and she gets up this 8th grader and she says you know Mr. Rumsfeld as the Secretary of Defense I'm sure you're aware the Army is going through a transformation and this transformation is going to add 6,000 more troops here to Fort Campbell and thousands of their family members what is your plan to ensure a smooth transition and ensure they have support And, (laughs) and Rumsfeld looks at me like what the fuck? <laughs> I'm like I told you it was a good question and yeah. and and goddamn, Leo he answers that question and you know what you know what question made the national news that night out of all you and your peers in that room that young woman's question ended up being run on ABC but it brought up a good point and I, is that this military family issue here we're talking 2004 uh, has been an issue of growing and, and you report a lot on that is do you think the military's made the improvements I mean, how are our military families doing I know we, we have challenges there's the housing scandal with mold and mm-hmm. housing where do you think that arc is gone and, and it feels like that's so, not gone as well as veterans <laughs> to be honest
1: I, well i mean I, I i don't know look those issues have been there and it, yeah. it's it's always struck me again i'm coming in i'm coming in 2004 and i'm covering these issues really for the first time mm-hmm. um i did work uh up in the up in the philly area um covering a, a joint naval station near reserve base so i had a little bit of familiarity but nothing nothing really serious yeah. um but those but i i was used to covering some of those kind of parochial issues and, you know, how you, how you interact with community and everything. So, um, so it's not that those family issues weren't there, but, but they were very local. They were not national news. They right. were not the focus of it and everything. And I think, again, as we've, as we've um, you know, as the war drug on all of a sudden, as the numbers start piling up, as we see that there's young families, there's young, uh, young men and women who are serving, there's, there's more attention on all of these things. So family issues, while they've always been there, the housing issues, now they start to come into focus because we start to see things like the Walter Reed scandal where right. troops are coming back and they don't have that attention. Whereas before, you know, it's not like other hospitals weren't a mess. It's just that it wasn't the national attention. It wasn't serving the the younger folks who were coming back from a war that we just started. So that they, the flagship the hospital, of,
0: right? The flagship hospital yeah, so in the lens of United war, States. Yeah.
1: The lens of war starts to accelerate all this. Some of the yes. military pay issues we saw, we saw better pay for a little while, now it's back up, although it's more inflation and less attention. But um, we had things like "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," which had been lingering for for what um, 15 years at yep. that point, or you know, when when it was passed back in '93. Yep. So, uh, so I'm doing the math wrong, but but okay. whatever. I like, was, was a young that commander. That comes back to the forefront. So all of these all these human issues start to drive all the other policy issues, and it's it, it's interesting when you when you look back. There was a, there was a real, you mentioned it before. There was the thought we're going to go into both these places. It's going to be over in no time. It's going to be like the first Gulf war was like right. It's just a quick hit. And then we're done Now to of here as it extends on. There's a real fight in the DOD and a real fight in the larger military advocacy community of what does our stance need to be? Do we need to start shifting towards um, guerrilla warfare and Humvees and counterterrorism operations? Or do we need to be worried about China and Russia and the bigger things? And where's our money going to be? And how are we going to do this? Um, and d as it as it often does, after a while, just came up with the solution of why don't we just do everything and why don't you just right. give us money for both? So, <laughs> so we'll just keep piling money on and now we'll do everything and it'll be great. Um, and then you've got to figure out how to balance the budget other ways and that's your problem. But, um, but it's, you know, it, it became, That really does sum it up quite well. <laughs> you know, yeah, you guys that. figured it out. Really <laughs> was, <laughs> it really was not that choice that was, was made at any point, but, yeah. it's, but, but when you see that, when you start to see these folks come home, you do start to see the, the personal side of this come. So the, the family issues, you know, all of a sudden it's not just, you know, well, they've got to live in housing. I'm sure the DOD deals with this. Now it's, oh no, this, this person was killed overseas. And how are we taking care of their kids? How are we taking care of that, that spouse? Um, Do they have housing? Wait, they're coming back and they're living in just as bad conditions as they did overseas. Like that doesn't make sense. Why are they, why are they struggling to get their education benefits once they get out? Where do they integrate? So, so we've learned it's never a quick thing. And, you know, ideally the money and the resources and the support systems would be there when we start it. But um, but I, I think there has been just more of a focus, more of an appreciation. I I hope that it's there's just more of an awareness, yeah, um, among the entire American public that that service members are people too. I mean, this let's be <laughs> yeah. honest. Like, there there we we you and I have talked for years, and yep. I've written for a long time about the gap between the military community and and the civilian community. I I had no real connections and no real conversations till I started covering this, um, and yet. There are there are veterans in every community. It might be right. the, it might be the old guy who lives down the street. It might be the young couple who lives here. It might be the uh, the mom who's who's uh, dropping her kids off at school with you. Like, but you know multiple veterans. You just didn't think about it before, and now the country as we deal with that, as you learn about these people, you think, hey, why is. Why is Megan dealing with crap over at the uh, at the VA? Shouldn't she be getting better stuff? Maybe I should complain to somebody. I mean, I'm sure she's complaining, but maybe I should be complaining, too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And in I, fairness, I, I, Megan actually got her knee replaced and she's doing fine. So, yeah.
0: so, well, you know, I I, I do. I, I am proud of my fellow Americans. I mean, it sounds fun. Again, it's counterintuitive. I think when we were talking before the show, I had a, a, I mentioned that I participated in the invasion 20 years ago. And one of my followers said, you know, we just, you know, our veterans should get everything. We're not treat. We still don't treat our veterans. Right. I said, I don't know. I'm not not to Actually, we're treated pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be countered too. I mean, I, there's always there's always more, but I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. We, we've got a pretty good setup. You know, my, my uh, I'm I'm a veteran. My son is a veteran. My son-in-law still serves in the National Guard. They've been well taken care of in many ways. Um, uh, so this they, has been know, one it's, of it's, it's the a real, change.
1: Yeah, this has been one of the real struggles on my end. Is as a as a reporter, as a journalist, who's covering the VA, it is my job to to point out the flaws and to try and get them corrected. Yeah. Um, I don't as as I tell people all the time, I don't cover olds if things are going well. <laughs> Um, I don't usually report on it. We cover news. Now that is a struggle with the veterans community because I do not want to be portraying veterans and service members as constantly broken individuals who, who deal with this. And victims, it's something that so stories, stories about yeah, exactly. And that's, that's something that the veterans community is very sensitive about and has been a obstacle for getting veterans to talk about veterans and veterans issues, yep. uh, especially things like PTSD and TBI, where they don't want to be seen as yes, I'm broken and you can't deal with me. So yep. PTSD, hey major major issue one that that dod is still trying to work on when the va is still trying to work on i talked to a family member a couple years ago um and they asked what i was covering i started to say that and they said oh it's just it's terrible how all of these service members come back and they all have have to deal with ptsd and i say I'll, I'll, hold on time out, time out. not all of them do some of them do it is a small percentage of them but we got to take care of the ones who do right um and same and that's that goes across the board there are some folks who really struggle with integration there are some folks that end up homeless there are some folks that it is the country's responsibility to take care of that and that's that's the unique thing they're you know if when when we get to a perfect society everybody's going to be taking care of everybody but veterans and service members are in a unique position where they have made sacrifices on behalf of the country and the country owes them for those sacrifices so we have set up these support systems to take care of them by the same token Lots and lots of veterans don't need those support services. Lots right. of veterans come out, they get a good job, they they own their own podcast.
0: You know, they're they're doing. They're doing I'm not it sure okay. if that's an improvement. know, is it or is it a cry gonna, for help, Leo? Yeah, right. but there, the point is,
1: you know, I can't I can't always be writing about how things are going well. Great, I try right. to find ways to do this. I try to find ways to highlight this, but it is something I'm always conscious of. I don't want the American public to think veterans are this weird subclass that has all of these. Problems. So, right. are your neighbors, veterans, but when your neighbor complains that they can't get their GI bill stuff settled <laughs> and it's going to end up causing the problems, you should complain like hell to your service, to your, uh, your member of Congress to yeah. say, why isn't the system working better? Why are we right. helping these folks? Didn't we make a promise to them? Then fulfill that promise. Also fill the pothole out front. Get those two <laughs> things taken care of. And that's what I want. So, and I'll and vote I for I think you. that's, I think yeah. that's the main, the main thing that I think, I think we're getting closer to there. I think when, <laughs> When I first started writing, I wrote a lot of stories about how veterans were not these scary, war, war torn people who were coming to your neighborhood and who knows what they're going to do. I think we've gotten past that. People have seen sons and daughters come home. They've seen friends. They've seen their kids' college classmates come home and they, you know, and they're like, all right, like, yeah, he, he had, he had this issue and that issue, but like, No, that's cool. Now he's now he's working in finance. Now he's got this boring accounting He's Doing fine. This is is all good. So, so I I hope that we continue to see that, and I hope what that is is it puts it puts VA on par with the other agencies where we say, hey, this is something where yes, this serves a specific group, housing and human services that serves a specific group, but also I expect you to serve that group. I expect you to do this. I expect you to VA. I expect you to serve this.
0: You know, so as opposed to. Uh, V-A-D-O-D.
1: I never served, so none
0: of that's my problem. Right. And I really appreciate that. And I think that the the best highlight of that is you do a great job. I, I, I still follow your stuff on Twitter, you know, and, and it still is the veteran unemployment number, right, which continues I to other, hover. I have some
1: other people you can follow who have better yeah, stories yeah, than yeah, I can get you.
0: I'm a super fan. But, you know, it, so, it is it – is, um, you know, the veteran unemployment is a perfect example, right? It, it has – other than we had that, we had a real disaster of those few years, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And mm-hmm. then we saw a flip, right? We saw that number start to flip and then and just drop dramatically, where I think it just generally hovers half the actual – in general, half or a point Not below. quite half, but it's lower. Uh, yeah, it's, it's lower. It's like consistently yeah, lower. So. consistently and lower. And look, days. I
1: haven't – it has been – seven or eight solid years since i've had to write a story about yeah. how how service members need to translate their resumes for yeah. a civilian <laughs> audience that was that was a staple in. The, oh in my the god 2000s. i know like, agony man like, so many, but like but but it was necessary then because yeah. there were a lot of people saying i don't understand this i'm like what do you un- don't you understand this person did army logistics they can work for ups now like right. it's the same it's the same process just just Send them, you know, send them up with a new computer program and send them on their way. It's all figured it out. So, we we tend I, to figure I, shit out. I we're not seeing that now. We're not seeing yeah. the convincing college campuses that veterans would be on okay on campus. We're yeah. not seeing the show companies that these are got these are these are highly motivated, uh, you know, highly attractive job candidates that that they want to get. So I, I do I do feel like we're past some of those things. Now the next step is do we really understand when we say what does it mean to reduce veterans' suicide? What does it mean to continue to reduce veterans' homelessness? What is that going to require, and what kind of commitment is that going to take, not just from the veterans and the DOD and the military community, but from the public at large? Because yeah. these are these are problems where those those corners have solved probably as much as they can. And now at this point, we need innovation from civilian medical things. We need community partnerships that have nothing to do with veterans but are going to be able to produce more beds so that homeless veterans can get into them um and we need you know we need just people to hang out at barbecues with their veterans and talk about oh what was that like oh that's interesting yep my kid my kid was kind of interested in it but it's almost just shooting stuff well it's not (laughs) totally true let's (laughs) let's let's have a conversation if they want to do it fine if
0: they don't fine. but they at least understand what the future is for this and i love that and i think you're right i think and again as we circle back and i'll probably let you go is is these are what you, The issues you just highlighted are the most Intransient, the most difficult ones to solve Are not just veterans issues And I, I say this a lot and, and, and I want people to understand That as Americans that, that veterans Aren't the only people in America with PTSD um, I think there's estimates mm-hmm. that we're 8% of that Right, uh, Veterans aren't the only people with TBI Veterans aren't the only people who are homeless Veterans aren't the only people who deal with these issues Of transition from one career to another um, And in many ways by working with the veteran community And the focus we've done as a nation Which has been actually good in many ways We're actually reducing it nationally We're reducing homelessness yeah. The, the solutions for veterans aren't really that different than solutions for average Americans, right? You know, you know, you know how
1: to fix the veteran suicide problem. It's get more mental health specialists across the country right. and figure out better ways to treat mental health. Because we have and an American gonna, mental
0: health crisis, we have that's kids. That's going to help veterans.
1: That's going to help a lot of other people too. So, that's and it. this is where a lot of it intersects. And maybe VA is the crowbar we need to open up the lid of that problem and really get in there and fix it. Um, but also, we do have a special uh, a, a special responsibility to veterans. So, fine. We can start with them and reap the benefits down the road. We can right. start with getting the veteran suicide down to zero and then figure out how it benefits everyone else. We oh, can shit, get veterans work.
0: homelessness down and use those lessons to fix other things. So I love it. And I think that's great. And that's and that and, and I'm proud of me, uh, of, of my fellow veterans. I'm proud of the amazing Americans and 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 government bureaucrats. I hate the term, but they have stepped up in many ways. You know, it's funny how I, I had the funniest story. I'll let you go. A, a couple a few years ago, I was still living in Fredericksburg, if you remember. And uh, one of my peers there in Fredericksburg, was a veteran, Iraq veteran, we become good friends. And I'm <laughs> classic, we have different politics. I'll leave it at that. And he messaged me one day, Leo. He goes, "Man, I just got back from the Richmond VA and." He really took good care of me. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like like you know, man, I mean it was like VIP. I mean, I, everything I asked for I got I'm like it goes, it goes, you know <laughs> he was like, he had convinced himself the VA was going to be a nightmare. And he had right. this incredible treatment. He had a doctor who took care of him. If you read Jason Canner's book, which I believe is right here, you know, Jason Canner's book is in amongst these about his experience at the VA. Here's the guy who was going to running for, was running for president, then ran for mayor of Kansas City, um, dropped out because his PTSD got the better of him. Finally, he went to the VA there in Kansas City and they, they turned his life around. If I recommend any book you read, Jason Canner's book is, is, is his, his new and invisible storm is a great one about that art of those of us who serve and and why he went to the VA. I,
1: I wonder I wonder if individuals like uh, John Fetterman Senator yeah. Fetterman could publicly talk about some of their mental health struggles if not for all the veterans and all the military members we've seen over the last 15 years publicly talking about their struggles trying to normalize it <laughs> when you see when you see big tough army men talking about, you know, their struggles with with adjustment and their struggles with PTSD, it makes it easier for everybody else to talk about it too. So I've been very open. Um, you know,
0: you know, you see, yeah. I've been very open about it. And it's always been gratifying to me when I when I talk about my journey, because I only started my journey really getting healed about five years ago when everything went to shit. And I had to, you know. And the journey I went through, it's always gratifying to me. I'll reach out. And it, it is what you just said. I'll have a lot of guys that look like me who are retired colonels, a lot of retired lieutenant colonels like me. It's amazing to me how many 40, 50-year-old guys reach out and say, dude, I think I should get help too. Like, yeah, you know, it's like the, but also civilians who say to me, like, oh man, I really appreciate, you know, the fact that, you know, you're Mr. Ranger and four-time combat veteran and, you know, all that stuff. And you're saying, look, I, this was hard for me. And nobody got blown up in my watch. I, I lost people, including civilians. My first wife was killed in a car accident. It wasn't, had, well, I was in a meeting for the military, but it wasn't a military thing. This is human stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. and so, you know, then I lost men in combat. Now we know that, you know, one of the changes is that survivor's guilt is a form PTSD, which I don't think we knew. I mean, we didn't call it survivor's guilt when I first, you know, had it. And so those are all good for America and good for everyone. And you're right, if we can, that's what I love about that concept and what you just said, and I'll close out that, I'll let you go, is that that we as veterans owe it to the nation as well, right? That we can we can continue to lead in ways that are different. Which is like, and you nailed it so perfectly. A, a big tough veteran or a soft one like me, <laughs> you know, who can say, yeah, I, I had problems. Uh, it, it it made my life very hard. I you could argue I I lost my family in many ways, In other things, you know, I, well, probably part of my business lost. With, but but I, I dealt with it my way, and here I am on the other side of it. And and there's there's light on the other side, and we can continue to lead our nation and being honest about our struggles and everything else. Well, Leo, man. And thanks well, look, for taking. One last time. thing before
1: you close on me is the only reason I'm able to tell any of these stories and the only reason I'm able to do any of it is because the veterans community has been so open and so welcoming to me. And as as a kid who came in with no knowledge of any military stuff and complete idiot, I've had so many uh, veterans uh, folks just hold my hand, walk me through complicated issues, walk me through this stuff. So um, I know it's tough, but but I also my experience has been the veterans veterans community likes to tell its story and wants to tell its story um, because it helps tell the story of America so I've, I've been lucky enough to play a small part in that and I hope that you know when we do the 40th year anniversary podcast uh, of the Iraq war you and I can talk about this and I'm still writing these same stories because um, because veterans still trust me enough to to, to show those so yeah. um, and with that I got to go run to a to a hearing for the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee because Get on they're, it, man. they're dealing with some other stuff so
0: we got to go got to go keep them in check. Man I, I appreciate you and, and- and And, again, our community needs you, and and you've gotten awards from my peers in the veterans community for a reason because you did take our story seriously. You've always been over backwards. Personally, for Fred Wellman, I always appreciated the way you did. If I called you, you had an answer, and you pointed me to the person who could get an answer to, and that means a lot to me. So, Leo, keep up the fight. Thanks for everything. Thanks for joining me today, man. I appreciate it. Great, Great talk. Let's do it again soon. I can't wait. Thanks, brother. Oh, man, what a great conversation. I know it's a little different for the show, but this is, these are issues that matter. We talk about our democracy, talk about our nation. Um, I couldn't have thought of, of a better person to join us. And, and, and you see what I deal with. You know, Leo Shane is... Uh, Truly, a great American, and uh, his passion for the community of our veterans and his telling their story is unmatched. Uh, I got he had to rush off to a hearing, so he didn't get it out. But you can find him on Twitter at, at Leo Shane. Um, he's there all the time. He's we'll, we'll 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 tag him on our Twitter. Of course, our our Twitter is on Democracy Pod. I'm FP Wellman. Before I let you go, I do want to reflect for just a moment on my experience. Um, you know, I remember about this time uh, when this show comes out, I was I was on our probably our second stop in Iraq. Um, I was with the 101st Airborne Division. At the time, I was a, uh, I was qualifying the Black Hawk helicopter as my second helicopter. I had invaded Iraq essentially in 2000, or excuse me, in uh, 1991 with the 24th Infantry Division and in the big left hook of Desert Storm. I was in that same world uh, in 2003 with the 101st Airborne Division where I served as an operations officer for a Black Hawk battalion. That means that I kind of ran, you know— Gave the orders, sent people, you know, made the planning for missions, and we had a unique mission. And the Sixth Hundred First Aviation was kind of the general support battalion. We called it, so we were actually assigned to where the Apaches were assigned, and we supported them with if they got shot down. I I let I actually led the task force to go pick them up. I would. Uh, we also had the general officers' aircraft, General Petraeus' helicopter, and a couple other generals, and um, all the weird missions. We also had a Pathfinder Infantry Platoon, a you know, famed Hundred First Airborne Pathfinders, if you remember World War II. The guys that had the Mohawks in the World War II pictures, those were the 101st Airborne's Pathfinders. That platoon of, of infantrymen belonged to our aviation unit uh, who, were, uh, who were wonderful to me because I was an, a qualified, qualified as an Army Ranger. I went to Ranger School, and uh, they appreciated having at least one Black Hawk guy in the unit who had a Ranger Tab and understood what it meant to walk. <laughs> and so I, it was a unique unit, and uh, I, I went into that war obsessed with not losing any men or women uh i had lost two of my men in deja storm uh, i had left a mark um for many years still does and uh, i went into oif with the i going to do whatever it is i i joke i was kind of a dick to be honest with you because i was like look you know wear your wear your freaking helmets dig your holes every time we land a helicopter dig a hole next to it in case we get shot at um but the thing is it's a, it's a unique experience the iraq war is such a unique war in the sense of so many people question why we went there so many people reasonably question the the justification for the invasion. So many people reasonably question, did we do the right thing and did we actually leave a mess? And I was in an interview that I think is publishing in Europe um, this weekend about the anniversary, and, and the reporter asked me, um, you know, was it worth it? And I'm not necessarily sure you could ask an Iraq veteran a harder question. Was it worth it? Um, especially with me, since most of my tours after that first one, actually including the first one, we're focused on a, directly helping the iraqi people during the first tour i ended up being the civil affairs officer in addition to my other jobs and i actually built schools i built clinics i worked with the local population i had an interpreter from mosul uh, basam who if you follow me on my newsletter you've seen his name uh dr muhammad is our local sheikh i i built you know we delivered water you know i worked with the local iraqis and then my second two tours i actually worked directly with the iraqi military uh even directly for the minister of defense uh, and the prime minister to help them build their their, their military. So I have a, a, a great affection for the Iraqi people, um, and so it's a unique situation where you went in in 2003 to destroy them, uh, destroy their army, uh, and liberate their people. Uh, and and it's weird. By the time we got to Mosul, we were actually seen as liberators. That first point, I actually I did. I have the funny story. It's a true story of a a young man running up to my Humvee to, to give me wildflowers as we dropped down into Mosul as we came in the back way into Mosul. Um, But that changed eventually, right? And so there is a certain, I think a lot of us struggle with the um, what was right and wrong. In the end, I took the approach that I would try to do the right thing within my purview, that I could do the right thing for my soldiers and my fellow service members. I would do the absolute right thing for the Iraqis that I was there ostensibly to serve. If that meant getting them water or that meant training them to be uh, to be able to fight on their own that's what i did um, i wanted to leave iraq each time i left having at least made my little circle of control better um on that note i i recently announced that i i uh, a wonderful book agent has agreed to help me publish my memoir and uh, i posted that on facebook and um many of my facebook friends my personal facebook are actually iraqis um, who I met in Iraq in that first tour. And I got a Facebook call um, from an Iraqi. And mind you, they're, it's written in Arabic, and I don't speak Arabic. And it turned out to be one of Dr. Muhammad's sons, who was just a 10-year-old when we invaded the country, and I met him the first time. And he didn't speak English. Um, so we're on FaceTime on Facebook, um looking at each other and he's not he's speaking Arabic and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and um he wanted to show me his kids, his babies. He had a baby and a toddler and a probably a 10 year old. And um he wanted me to see them. And he cried. And he called me Major Wellman <laughs> because I never got promoted from that for tour as far as my Iraqis go. I still think I'm a major. And he just wanted to tell Major Wellman that he was okay. And that they had survived, and that they were thriving, that they had children, and that they appreciated me and the work I did. And it couldn't come at a better time as the 20th anniversary approached. And so many of us who served wonder if we did the right thing. I don't know if I did. Uh, let history judge that. I tried, and my soldiers all came home, and I think I helped some people. And when the son of a man who served with you, an Iraqi who ended up being murdered in the clinic I built for him in 2011. Uh, When his son reaches out to you to let you know that he's got grandkids, Dr. Muhammad has grandkids, and he wanted you to see them, I guess you can take solace that you tried, that maybe you did do the right thing for some people. So as you meet your friends who are Iraqi veterans, Iraq veterans, um, keep that in mind. Um, We all serve in our own way. I, I, I used to say when I was a veterans advocate, that when you've met one veteran you've met one veteran (laughs) and experiences may vary uh my experience was unique and i I hope to tell that story um i'm excited we'll we'll be building a substack community i've 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 joined substack um i lost my newsletter that i had uh, on review thanks to mr musk Um, but i'm going to start a substack and and sell tell some of these stories and tell others and i hope you'll join that community when i get it up and running i'll announce it shortly but in the meantime, um, I think if you talk to some of your peers and your friends or your neighbors who have been Iraq veterans, just don't feel sympathy or anything like that. Just ask them the stories. I think you'll find the stories fascinating. Um, you know, There's something about being a part of history like we are that is unique. So with that somber note, thank you for joining this show. Thank you for joining On Democracy and your loyalty to this program. I, I look forward to growing our community together. I hope you'll tell your friends about the podcast. I hope you'll like and subscribe. I hope you'll write a good review, five-star review. Uh, I could use a few more. Um, And as always, um, do your best for your community and for your fellow Americans and uh, keep up the fight. And this is all worth it. With that, I'll see you next week.